Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Orthodox Logos. My name is Ian Silver. I'm here with my co-host, Nathaniel Harmon. Greetings. Welcome to another episode of Nate's Rants featuring Ian Silver. I did not. I did not know that. Uh, yeah. So today we're going to be getting into another interesting topic. It's kind of a continuation of the most recent episode, which is not available to the public yet, but it is on Patreon. If you haven't subscribed there, make sure you do. And that one, uh, we've titled it, It's a Gay World After All. So, yeah, it's about Disney coming out of the closet and, you know, their not-so-secret gay agenda that they're pushing on the youth and how us as Christians, specifically Orthodox Christians, can, you know, perform a triage, as Nathan mentioned, uh, to society. Triage is a wonderful word, though. Yeah, it's good. It explains a lot. Well, not even with regard to its definition. It's just a good-sounding word. I like the word. <laughs> All right. So, Ian, what what uh, what tortuous videos have you in, sh- in store for us today? Uh, we got a few videos that will inspire me to rant, and you to sit there and go, "Wow, this is horrible. Why did I make anyone else suffer through this?" Uh, I feel like for some reason I really enjoy you suffering. I'm not quite sure if that's a, a good thing, but I'm pretty sure that's a vice. Yeah. But yeah, we'll Which start. will be described by the quote you're about to read. True. <laughs> so I'm going to open up with um, usually we do a quote from, you know, a saint or we've read stuff from G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, uh, Tolkien. But today, to go along with the topic that we're going to be speaking on, we are, I am reading a quote from Karl Marx. And um, if you don't know who that is, that's probably a good thing, to be completely honest. No, that's a bad thing. No, you're enemy. Everyone should read Karl Marx. Yeah, Ronald Reagan described a communist as one who reads Karl Marx and an anti-communist as one who understands Karl Marx, which I think is a pretty interesting quote. So yeah, the quote goes like this. Thus heaven I've forfeited. I know it full well. My soul, once true to God, is chosen for hell. Karl Marx from The Pale Maiden, written in 1837. So Nathan, do you have anything to say about that or... Uh, how you interpret that? I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. Um, Karl Marx was described by many who knew him in life as being demonically possessed, which, as I was commenting before this episode started, if in the industrial period in Protestant England, if someone says that about you, you're probably demon-possessed. <laughs> because... That's not the milieu in which that particular assessment usually occurs. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting quote. And um, the title for this video is going to be God of Pronouns, question mark, a dance with death. So, uh, you know, Lord have mercy on us. And I hope that we can remain charitable and and remember that, you know, we we also struggle with our own passions and our own sins. And we're not here to to condemn them condemn other people for for their sins or or to to say that theirs are, are greater than ours i know we talked about that yesterday and that's another 
uh, conversation. But I think the important thing to remember, and I'll say it every time, is that we pray uh, ceaselessly, unceas- unceasingly, rather, for... Ceaselessly works. Yeah, you're right. But we, we basically, we, I think the most important thing to do is to pray for people who are struggling and pray for the world. Because so, right now we're seeing some very interesting things happening in society and... I know. I think we're entering. I think Nathan said this uh, the other day that you know Disney chose to go to the medieval period, but in the wrong in way. the wrong way. So, yeah. With that being said, uh, there's a few videos we're gonna watch, and uh, we're gonna mute ourselves for the portion of these videos because I'm not sure if it's a good idea for us. Some things might come out of people's mouths. Yeah, so we want to remain charitable, but we also you know, want to shed light on these things. As I've said before, we're called to be both salt and light and to expose the darkness which we're seeing in the world. So hopefully we can, we can do that. This past Thursday, March 31st, was the International Transgender Day of Visibility. In the PCUSA, we welcome all of our transgender and queer siblings into this family and relationship with the creator God. So today I wish to pray a prayer that was written for this incredible day. Will you pray with me? Oh God of pronouns, we give praise to the great one, the one who was identifiable as God. I am what I am, you say the great they, the incarnate he and she, the God of trans beings, impregnating Mary, fathering God, breastfeeding God of many breasts. You shadow, you shatter all stereotypes, making every single person male and female, male and female, intersex, non-binary, in your image, exactly in your image. Spectrum, rainbow God, who put your promise for nonviolence in the symbol for queer love before humanity knew, because you knew. Who had Joseph, who could not sleep with a woman in a beautiful lady's cloak, perhaps of rainbow colors, before we knew, you knew. God of pronouns who said, you can call me he or he or they, whatever makes you feel closest to me. Invisible and visible God, on this day where visibility, celebration, belated, belatedness, affirmation, and acceptance is the bare minimum. Remind us that you are the God of pronouns. So you affirm and you celebrate them. God of Saul, Paul, Simon, Isaac, Jacob, Isaac, Simon, Peter, Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah. God of Joseph, of the coat of many colors, of the Ethiopian eunuch, the Virgin Mary. God of all found families in the Bible. Remind us that you affirm us in our full identity. Name, pronoun, found family, all of it. For this, we give you thanks and praise to the great I am, the great they them. Thank you, God, 
And so in the now, now in the words that our mother, our father, and our sibling God taught us to pray. That was difficult. Yeah. What, uh, what do you have for us here? <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's just like, I don't know how to, I don't know how else to cope with it. You know? I can think of some coping mechanisms. They're certainly not Christian. Yeah, that one is, that one's rough. The great I am, the great they, them. Ass- you know, assuming God's gender. So one of the things that we weren't going to get into was this whole notion of apophaticism, right? Which is just negative theology as opposed to cataphatic theology, which is positive theology. And the reason we're not going to get into that is because I don't think either of us are qualified to discuss it. However, there is one particular thing that may have slipped past some people, maybe not, or, or maybe not rather, that I would like to point out. And that is the only metric by which we need to reject this, although there are multiple ones that we can use, is the origin of this particular ideology, which is unequivocally demonic. Now, if you don't believe that this particular um, individual is praying to a demon, I would point you back to something she said pretty early on, which is referencing God as being a female with many breasts. That is explicit imagery to early images of Aphrodite. Or or Baphomet, even stuff, you know, oh, stuff like to, Baphomet. Uh, to be fair, I've never looked at Baphomet, but that is explicit imagery for Aphrodite. They are praying to a demon. I don't care what else they say in this prayer. They're praying to a demon. It doesn't matter who they cite or how they try to justify it. They have admitted in that prayer by that visual that that's who they're praying to. Yeah. They may not even realize it. Well, that's, I think that's kind of the problem is, you know, they, them, she, whatever, you know, feels as if um, she's being progressive or like this is some sort of progressive movement, you know, but it's actually a, a digression from, from anything close to Christianity. It's uh let's see. A complete it's, inversion of the story of Christ and the story of our Lord. Well, it's choosing different sides, right? Th- these are people who are choosing to be not on God's side. And it's also humorous to me that she makes the allusion to the uh, the rainbow being a symbol of love. And it's like, well, it's a symbol of the forbearance of God's wrath. Yeah, the rainbow. You can't say that that's an image of peace per se. Like, well, let me rephrase that. It is. It's actually a really interesting foreshadowing of the crucifixion because what God actually says in Genesis is he's hanging his bow up. And that's not, oh, I'm hanging up something pretty. He's hanging up his weapon of war. Yeah. He's not going to aim his weapon of war at mankind. Again, as a matter of fact, when he hangs it up, he's aiming it back at himself. Yeah, the rainbow is a problem. So it's, a, so it's an image. It's, it's a rough image of what is coming where God is going to turn his wrath against sin upon himself. Exactly. The rainbow is a promise. It's not a sex symbol. We've seen it be inverted completely to represent something totally different. You to know, appeal to an older video, talk about cultural appropriation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I love, I don't know if we can see that. I love the guy in the back. He's like, he's like, oh, this is not the, uh, the newsletter I got. 
He seems pretty uh, disconcerned about the whole situation. But also, then again, he's actually going to express his appropriate displeasure. He would have chased her off of that podium. Yeah. And anyone who sat there and assented to that, he would have had some pretty harsh words. I think I think she even said something about Joseph wearing a rainbow colored colored cloak. Yeah, the imagery there doesn't need to be explained overly much. The, yeah. The sentiment they're trying to express is fairly obvious, I think. And yeah, I guess I guess we won't get into the apathetic theology of this because I know we talked about it briefly about, um, you know, we even hear in, in scripture or we especially hear it in the hymns of the Orthodox Church, you know, he revealed himself to us. We hear God is the Lord and has revealed himself to us. Yeah, he has revealed himself to us and it's it's just uh i don't know interestingly as well and yeah. this is something that i don't think anyone who argues through this knows with a handful of exceptions in hebrew which lest we forget that is the language in which the old testament was originally written right there is no word for goddess in hebrew at all they don't have the ability to refer to a female deity in that language that's why they, because Asherah, so, so you'll come across the term for Asherah poles or Asherahs, right? That is a Hebrew, or that, that is a loan word. I'm wanting to say it came from some, from either Sumerian or Canaanite. It's not a Hebrew word. <laughs> so she's talking about this whole thing where it's like, oh yeah, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these different patriarchs and saints of the Old Testament, they they have this notion that God is beyond identity. And that's not necessarily incorrect, but their understanding of God was definitely masculine, necessarily. Yeah, it wasn't a, <laughs> n- a non, non-binary God, lowercase g, in, in this situation. You know, like we said, they're praying to a demon, and their their God is not, you know, the God of Christianity, the God that we worship and that we serve. So, all right, let's... uh going to continue on with this blasphemy. Yeah. Okay. Pray with us now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power. Well, at least they didn't screw that up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did, did they have the filioque in there? Or no, that's the no. Great, I'm sorry. That yeah, no, there. but they didn't say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In all fairness to them, that's not in the gospel, which is what they're yeah. citing. All right. I don't know if we can really... We want to keep this one, this one brief, so... Yeah. Let's... Yeah, this one should be fun. Yeah, here we go. We're, uh, this one is from a YouTube page called Vine and Fig, and it is two gay Catholics answering some questions from, from their viewers. By that, what we mean is not there are two Catholics who struggle with homosexual inclinations. These are two, shall we say, practicing homosexuals who allegedly profess the Catholic faith. All right, here we go. Hey, I'm Patrick. And I'm Pat. 
We're the co-founders of Vine and Fig, a wholly informing resource for queer Catholics. And we're going to answer a couple of y'all's questions from Instagram. Uh, our first question is, what are the top refutations for the off-quoted theology of the body design and fruitful arguments? I think with this one, you can you know, say that there's a lot of, of beauty to what John Paul II wrote in the theology of the body and the folks who kind of uh, promote a lot of that, that thinking of, of saying, like, let's look at the symbolism of Genesis and where it gets us. But also say, well, you don't have to take it like all the way to its most extreme conclusions to say, like, there's a lot of truth and beauty to it. So, for example, like a lot of folks, you know, will say there's no problem with someone who is maybe menopausal or like can't naturally have any kids or anything like with them getting married because it's not a an active choice not to have procreative sex in a relationship like that same thing for folks in a, a same-sex relationship yeah. okay so part of the problem with this example and this is an example you'll see from a lot of people who claim to be christians when they're talking about theology of the body and well what about people who are in Right. That is completely irrelevant to the conversation because if you are infertile, you have some sort of pathology or disability that is preventing you from conceiving in the natural fashion. Right. However, were things working appropriately, that wouldn't be an issue. In the circumstance they're referencing, there is no way for there to be an outcome that. Th their sexual relationship can lead to childbirth or to the conception of life. That simply cannot happen. And some people might say, oh, well, Nathan, you're being a scientific materialist and, you know, God can do whatever God wants. And it's like, yes, but God also doesn't generally, as far as I can tell in my study of scripture and in the Holy Fathers, God doesn't say, okay, well, you know, Adam and Steve are going to be just as agreeable as Adam and Eve, right? He usually works within the overarching limits that have been set, for instance. God destroys the world when demons start trying to procreate because that's not good. Yeah. That's not within the framework that has been assigned. This is also not within the framework that has been given. And honestly, the whole notion that you also have to then discuss the whole idea of what is sex for, right? If you're homosexual, the only thing that sex does is give you pleasure. That's it. It has no other purpose. I mean, your partner is, and forgive me for my graphic language, is nothing other than a masturbatory aid. And I'm not going to say that there aren't heterosexual couples who don't act in a similar fashion. Totally. But if these guys were familiar with the traditions of the church and the sexual ethics the church puts forward, if you're treating your partner that way, that's wrong. It doesn't matter if it's, if, if you're a heterosexual couple or a homosexual couple, you don't treat your partner that way. That's not what they're there for. That's not what your relationship is supposed to be defined by. Yeah. So, and also them calling it beautiful is disconcerting to me because, well, think about the, think for a moment about precisely what they're saying and what it looks like and what is being used in what fashion. And that's a pretty gnarly thing. <laughs> I mean, that's just gross. Yeah. Not to be terribly polemic. I'm not trying to be an ass, but. No, I agree. I don't think I can really add anything to that. I'll have some things to say, I'm sure, in a moment. In a, a same-sex relationship. Yeah, and if you're looking for um, kind of a book or another resource, Matthew Vines has a good book called God and the Gay Christian. He goes through different clobber passages, but also talks 
about some of the complementarity arguments that are made. So I definitely check that out too. What does your logo symbolize? So with this one, we wanted to kind of get back to that previous question, actually, where we wanted to show the fruitfulness and the goodness of um, queer people's lives. So we were trying to come up with a name that kind of uh, referenced that. So we found Vine and Fig. Uh, it's in Micah 4.4. Everyone will sit under their own Vine and Fig tree and no one will be afraid. And uh, we wanted to just talk about the like harbor and safety uh, of that passage. Um, so when we were coming up with a logo, we tried to find something that uh, depicted that. We worked with a really great logo designer, and um, that's where like the kind of branch comes from and the hand grasping for it. But I go follow Elliot. He's great. We'll link below. Okay, so next question is, uh, when will Tabardin be returning? Thursday. The next question is, how do you feel about consecrated gay people? I couldn't endure the hypocrisy. I want to push back a little bit against the idea that it's somehow inherently hypocritical uh, to be a, a, a consecrated uh, person in the Catholic life who is also gay. Because uh, at Vine Fig, like we very much believe that uh, there is such a thing as a call to to celibacy within in the Catholic Church. Um, we just very much don't agree that it, it can ever be enforced. Basically, you can't say that like just because you're gay, just because uh, you experience same-sex attractions, or however you want to put it, that therefore you have to be celibate, you have to be a consecrated person. Um, so we think that you can entirely, and we know people who are are consecrated and also are fully affirming of, of same-sex relationships. They believe that God is calling them to uh, be celibate, but that has a lot more to do with like their own prayer life and their own um, sense of mission in the world and a whole lot less to do with how they view um, their own sexuality or uh, the goodness of, of same-sex relationships where they see them elsewhere in the world. Okay, so I almost agree with what they're saying. About, being, cel about being celibate. Almost. But do you have anything you want to say? You look like you had something to say as well. No. Okay, so... I do agree with them that if you ex just because you experience same sex same sex attraction doesn't mean that you necessarily must become a priest or a monk, right? Because that's kind of what they're talking about there. So in Roman Catholicism, obviously, if you're going to be a priest, you have to be celibate. You cannot be a married priest in Roman Catholicism, with the exception of maybe some of the Byzantine Rite and Eastern Rite Catholics, which is a completely different story. But them saying that just because you, but them saying then that if you experience same-sex attraction, you don't have to be celibate is utter ridiculousness. Same-sex acts are a sin, right? Much in the same way that heterosexual acts outside of the confines of marriage and appropriate sexual ethics are a sin. Not to the same degree. I'm not going to discuss that particular topic. But... If you have a sexual inclination that cannot be fulfilled within the bounds of the ethics of the church, it's a sin, period. And this is an example of particular of people who are afflicted by particular passions trying to carve out a, uh, a niche that uh, respects that sin, and that's not okay. Yeah, interpreting scripture or in coming up with their own interpretations of, of what the church means and not not relying on uh the you know the church fathers who like there's there's a saying i think about about 
and it, it pertains more so to orthodoxy about how, you know, the Bible is not open for interpretation by us. The church does that for us. And when, when I say the church, I mean the church fathers, the saints, you know, the martyrs and those who, who have come before us. So I think it's, you know, there's a lot of interpretation here that is just giving them a, an excuse to act in a way that, you know, is very, un, very against the faith. Wanting an exception for your particular pet sins is a sin. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to sound like I have no compassion for these people because when somebody discusses something like this, that sounds horrible. It sounds really, really bad. Yeah. And I, just, I, I just don't like, envy them. But just because your particular sins cause you maybe more difficulty in a way that other people's don't appear to to you doesn't mean you get to have a special exception. Like Ian and I have talked before, each of us have our own, he, each, each of us have to wrestle with the passions in a particular fashion, right? And what I wrestle with is not what Ian wrestles with, right? That doesn't mean that one of us gets a pass yeah. on whichever sin that happens to be. And I, I really am weary to death of hearing people say, well, my sin is hard and you don't know my sin, so you shouldn't tell me that I can't do it. And it's like, well, if you really want to open up that uh, that line of reasoning, you're going to be very unhappy with how it turns out because you think that sins, I mean, it's the whole thing we've talked about earlier. People that think this way are under the impression that sexual sins are the only ones that are unreasonably curtailed. And it's like, no, we all struggle with differences. Mine aren't generally sexual. And if mine were not curtailed, that would be a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then this uh, this last one is, uh, I think there's maybe one or two more. We'll, we'll see. What are some steps to connecting with a supportive Catholic church? I grew up Catholic but lost faith because hashtag gay. So this one is tricky. And I feel like uh, even myself, you know, trying to find a parish can be hard. Uh, in general, I would say, look at like universities or Catholic centers on college campuses. They tend to be a little more progressive. Um, New Ways Ministry has a list of churches that you could check out if there's one in your local area. We'll link that. Um, and also our Slack community. So we have an online um, community built on the Slack platform. So essentially just uh, like a chat room and you can talk with folks, talk about theology, anything, random stuff. Uh, it's a really great resource and we can link to that as well if you're interested and want to sign up. Yeah, it's an awesome place to meet other uh, career Catholics who are fully affirming. It's also a safe place uh, where you can, uh, if you work for a Catholic church or if you uh, are in a, a space where you um, are not all right well that is now they're kind of just telling you where catholic things and trying to convince other people to sin even harder uh, yeah you look like you have things you want to say Ian. no i don't so you have things you wish to say but you're not going to because you're a charitable man which is not what i am uh <clears throat> not to judge you too harshly uh, I don't know what to say man I really don't I just 
I think it's a shame that, you know, not a, not a shame. I just think it's going to be hard as my son gets older. That That's more so what I, when I see stuff like this, I just think about him and I'm like, this is the world that he's, he's growing up in. And this is, you know, you know, I, I just hope that I'm doing a good job and Lord willing, he stays on the, on the narrow path because this stuff is uh pretty scary to me. Right. Well, like the God of pronouns since we can do more of a reaction here and like just a general thoughts here. Well, yeah, we're agreeable to you, but one of the things I wanted to touch on really quickly is there's this postmodern, well, I won't say postmodern, a contemporary biblical scholarship view that says that because St. Paul made up particular words or used particular words regarding homosexuality that have uh, pederastic or pedophilic origins or even, shall we say, um, origins along the lines of rape, that that is what St. Paul is referring to, that the only kind of homosexual unions that are not agreeable in the Christian faith are ones that are forcible or um, subjecting children to these kinds of abuse. There are a couple of problems with that, but the first one I want to say is that is not the tradition of the church. So as anyone who isn't aware knows, in the Eastern Orthodox and Catholic churches, you don't have the right to pick up scripture and say, well, I think it means this, therefore that's what it means. We execute scripture via the consensus patrum, right? The consensus of the fathers. And the tradition of the church within the consensus patrum has always been up until like the last 40 years. This is not an okay relationship. You do not do this, period. It is never okay. But for the Protestants out there, if we're going to go to scripture, we have to consider two particular portions of scripture that I think are interesting. The first That's one, in what, Leviticus and Isaiah? Or? Well, the, the first one we're going to go to is actually in Acts. So if you're familiar with Acts, you'll know that there's the first ecumenical council, right? And that is in Acts 15. And St. James... Acts 15 what? It's Acts 15. I'm going to start in 18. So St. James says... Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, what on earth could he be referring to when he says abstain from sexual immorality? Because a lot of people read that and say, oh, well, that just means like, I don't know, sexual immorality. What What is he referring to? Does he have a particular reference in mind? Um, I mean, I'm not going to... See, this is what we were just talking about interpreting it, but I, I, I would say that at any sort of sexual immorality. Right, but even then, what is sexual immorality? Because we've got to remember this. The people who are at the Jerusalem Council, with the exception of St. Barnabas, I believe, are... Oh, even he's Jewish, I think. I, I I don't recall the, the particular ethnic breakdown, but the vast majority of the early bishops were Jews. So when they're referring to sexual immorality, they're referring back to the Levitical law, right? On what sexual immorality is. So things like if you're married, 
don't sleep with your wife when yeah. she's menstruating, right? We tend to look at that nowadays and say, oh, well, that's just a, a purity law. It's like, no, that's under sexual immorality. That's the law code of Israel, period. Not just the religious law code, although there weren't actually secular and religious laws at that point in history. So one of the things it says in there, and this is Leviticus 18, we're going to start with verse um, 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, for it is an abomination. And continuing on, it then says, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand up before an animal to mate with it, for that is a perversion. So. With regard to that verse, which you'll typically hear, and you have to think back to what I said about St. Paul a minute ago, the accusation is that St. Paul is referring to any kind of forced sexual interaction, right? When he's talking about homosexuality being wrong. You have to remember that St. Paul is a rabbi, or at least he's a, a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. So he's not a slouch. He knows his scripture. He knows his traditions backwards and forwards. So when he's saying, don't do the homosexual things, he's thinking of this passage and the traditions surrounding this passage. Now, that doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense given the modern interpretation of, okay, well, he's just talking about forced sexual activity because if you're going to take that interpretation, you have to presume then that this passage means that every interaction, every sexual interaction that a man was having with a woman, specifically with his wife, was rape. Yeah. Which that's is not unequivocally not true. So regardless of what, say, I don't know, Virgil would have said about pederasty or pedophilia, St. Paul is not Virgil. He's not using the Roman tradition as his understanding of the Hebrew law. He's using the Pharisaical tradition, which is you don't sleep with a dude if you're a dude. Yeah, or another man's wife. Or an animal. Or, yeah, there's because if a woman is standing before an animal, she's not being raped by the animal, right? That's not the context there. So I don't know if you have anything you want to say, Ian, but that's my to, to anyone who says that homosexual unions are okay as long as they're consensual. That just belies a an utter misunderstanding of Levitical law and what the Jews of antiquity through the first and second centuries thought was okay. Yeah, and I think even at the end it says anyone who commits these abominations, even the souls that uh, commit them shall be cut off from them among their people. That brings us to an interesting point, actually, that I hadn't thought about when we started this podcast. But are you familiar with the Nika riots? Do you know what those are? Nika? Nika. Like yeah. N-I-K-A? Yeah. I believe mm -hmm. it's spelled differently in the time. Okay, so you're familiar with the life of uh, St. Justinian and St. Theodora. Yeah. So you know when... Saint uh, Justinian's thinking about bouncing, running away from Constantinople. Yeah. Do you know why he's running away? Or wanting to run away? No. Because there's this huge riot going on, right? The Nika riot. And this occurs because... It's got a catchy name. Right. Well, this occurs because there's... Kind of like two very famous Or two very popular... Um, primar there's primarily two very popular um, charioteering teams, the Blues and the Greens, right? So it's kind of like the Bloods and the Crips? Well, no, this was actually how political rivalries were settled in, in Constantinople, was you have these two teams and they kind of had political, they were like political clubs as well, but they were also sports clubs. 
the captain or one one of the really famous charioteers from one of the teams, I don't remember which one, I think it was the Blues, but I don't recall, was caught engaging in sodomy, Hmm. which is consensual, generally speaking, right? And so he'd been arrested because that is a no bueno thing to do in a Christian society. You don't do that. And people got really bent out of shape and a riot started that was so bad that they thought the city was going to be destroyed. And so St. Justinian actually, at the urging of his wife, put down this rebellion. And this also occurs around the same time that he's right, that he's recodifying the um, the Codex Justinianus, which is the, the, the laws of St. Justinian, right? And one of the things that that talks about is these laws with regard to sexual purity, because there are some sins that you can commit that are just civil. Like if you steal from somebody, that's bad. If you murder, that's bad. But if you commit sexual immorality like this, you pollute the ground and the city becomes liable to judgment from God. Yeah. Which is what that passage is referring yeah, to. Yeah, it all, it's, it's like also... you do that kind of stuff, the ground is going to say, hey, God, check out this stuff. Yeah. You want to resolve it. That the land spew not out also, you know, it's basically the earth is going to swallow you up whole. Right. Well, the, nature itself is going to say, yeah, we're, nature's broken because of yeah, sin. The land is, this is pretty bad. <laughs> For all the abominations yeah. have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land therefore is defiled. Are you using a King James Bible? It's just the one I pulled up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So that's one of the things that has to be considered as well. It doesn't look how many it. different ones. I would try to find the Orthodox Study Bible, but the OSB is not going to be in there. It's actually yeah. the American. I believe it's the American Standard Bible that was used for the. I think OSB. it's. I thought it was the New King James. Well, it's the American. Or something. What is it? The it's it's some sort of it's like four or five versions. Do you not like do you not like yees like ye shall? So I I, I really <laughs> I don't know why I like the ye shall therefore keep my statues. Like I love that. So, I'm like uh yeah I'll I, I, I'll, I'll, I I'll try. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. But what I do have a problem with is people saying that the the thou though and these various other King Jamesy phrases to use the modern parlance are more formal. The and thou are actually informal. So that entertains me to no end. And people say, oh, well, thou is more formal or thee is more oh, formal. I'm like, really? How do you figure? I did. Uh, the Orthodox Study Bible is on here. Upgrade for unlimited access. So you, have to, you have to upgrade so that you can get the real the real version. <laughs> I mean, I, I really do prefer the Jerusalem or the New Jerusalem Bible. But or like me. what, the 1611 King James? That one's a... Uh... Is that what 1611 is? is actually hard to read. Because yeah, that's what the I mean. Spelling, the orthography is different. Yeah, it's not but modern English. Anyway, we're not going to continue our, our rant about <laughs> translations. With, yeah, but do you so, have any any final, uh, semi-final, or? I'm glad that you did at the beginning of this episode say that I'm joining you for another one of your rants because <laughs> I feel like I feel like I need I would need more time to digest some of the things I've just seen and and try to. Well, speak on them in a charitable fashion. I just blasphemy is blasphemy and heresy is heresy. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel bad for the people that support this. However, at the same time, it, it, it's one thing to be an atheist and say these things or to be, a, you know, some sort of pagan and say these things. It's another thing to be someone who says, I believe the Bible. I believe that God has revealed himself to us through his son, Christ, Jesus Christ, and that he has given us an example on how to live and that he is saving us. But also, by the way, I want to engage in all the sexual depravity. And if you tell me that Christ said I can't do that, then you hate God. It's like, 
that's a completely different thing. Yeah. And people, you know, for, for anyone who thinks that if someone's going to be that kind of a heretic, we should always be super, super nice. Like we, we should try to save them from their heresy, try to help them out of it. But if you think that that extends to allowing this, these if, things if, to if, happen, if you think that that is something that has no cutoff point, I would highly encourage that you read the, the, uh, circumstances surrounding the death of Arius <laughs> because that didn't go well for him. And that wasn't just because people were saying, Oh man, please, you know, don't, don't say these things. These things are mean. These things aren't nice. There was, I forget who the saint was. It might've actually been St. Athanasius. Um, was told by St. Constantine, the emperor, you know, you need to con celebrate with Arius or you need to at least give your imprimatur to his, his liturgy. And if it was St. Athanasius, I think it is, but I'm not positive. He prayed something to the effect of God, if I am wrong, strike me dead. And if Arius is wrong, strike him dead. And Arius was killed. (laughs) Arius died. So I'm not saying that we should pray for that. I am certainly no Saint Athanasius. I'm no saint at all. But we don't get we don't just sit here and take this lying down either. Yeah, especially as a father. Or I mean, right. as you know, yourself as as a godfather, or you know, we have children in our church and Right. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. But I don't know, maybe there'll be a part three and I'll have more to say. I kind of need to digest some of this some of this stuff, but it, it, you it, made me watch this. Yeah, this was definitely my idea. So sorry about that. But anything else? These people are, like we said last what time. What do you mean, you people? I said to these people. Oh, sorry. These people are, like we said last time, the victims of demonic delusion and oppression. As we all can be. We need to pray for them. However, going back to the triage example that we gave last time, if there are people who are putting forward these ideas and trying to convince your children or the people who are unconvinced that this is a good thing, they are not the first year of person you're trying to pull out of that circumstance and trying to help. You're trying to help the person who is more or less innocent of this, right? You have to be wise in this. We all have to be wise in this. However, that being said, like Ian and I always say, talk to your spiritual father. For sure. If you can't have these kinds, of, if these conversations can't be had charitably, if you can't engage with people like this charitably, probably don't engage with them. Because if you do it badly, if you do it in an uncivilized, unchristian, vicious fashion, you're not going to make it easier for someone else to try to help them see that what they're doing is not good and is only going to lead to their damnation. So, Amen. Be careful. Like, and, and I don't say that as someone who is always charitable and civilized in my discussions. I can be pretty vicious um, in, 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 a, in a discussion. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a reasonably good rhetorician, and in, and in discussions like this, I can be really nasty. So I'm not speaking from a high place saying, ah, yes, follow my example. Yeah. Well, I think we did pretty well on, on time and... If anybody has any questions or comments, reach out to us, please. But also, as Nathan said, and as we've said many times, if you're struggling with with uh, the things that you know we've talked about or struggling with anything, you can reach out to us, and we're here to talk to you. We're here to listen to you, but also seek the guidance of your spiritual father. And if you don't have one, which nowadays it's a little bit more difficult, 
to uh, attain a spiritual father, visit your parish priest or try to find the closest Orthodox church that you can. Um, you know, we're all struggling, uh, especially right now. So don't hesitate. And I mean that. Please reach out if you have anything going on. Uh, it's been a rough, rough Lent for myself and uh, some of my friends. You know, we've been we've been struggling. So, you know, you're not alone. But yeah, just reach out. So make sure to hit us up, like, subscribe, share it with your family and friends. And um, if you can become a Patreon member, I'm I'm contemplating what what stuff we put on YouTube because I know stuff like this will probably get us demonetized pretty quickly. Um, like I said, the Disney is gay, which is what I originally titled it. That was removed. Got down. It got removed from my personal Google Drive, which is pretty mind blowing to me. It means their 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 algorithm is catching things that you're uploading to your own drive. So I don't know where these things will end up. Patreon first, and we'll see uh, how things go. But you know, God forgive us and have mercy on us. And we hope that the Lord guides and protects you. And we will see you on the next episode. God bless. Cheers.